Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we're doing the 1931 Western Cimarron. Yeah, so this is the first Western to win Best Picture, um, and it was the only one until Dances with Wolves won 59 years later in 1991. I have some opinions on that as a person who really loves Westerns, um, but I'm sure we will talk about that in later years as Westerns that should have won kind of crop up well and see i'm perfectly okay with waiting 51 years for another western uh, you just haven't win. seen the good ones even fair 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 um which i think i'm gonna say right from the start i would not put Cimarron up with my favorite movies or favorite westerns um i think you know we'll go into this a lot more later that there was a lot of potential with Cimarron as far as story goes to do something really cool and to make some very important points and it didn't quite deliver agreed at least as it did not deliver as much as I wanted it to well and I won't go so far as to say it was as disappointing as a Broadway melody no I think that's still the bottom of both of our definitely lists. but there were some well when you look watch a film of the era you expect certain treatments of... I mean it's it's a 1931 western we both went into this knowing there was going to be racism yes but then when that being we said saw it, it was still jarring yes so yes and I think that is something if you watch a lot of old movies which I am a big fan of old movies you know that there are certain things that you are going to see like racism and sexism that you're not going to agree with um but you know that they will be there as a product of when these movies were made. That being said, sometimes it's still very jarring and it can still make you very angry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, with that, want to move into it? Yeah. Uh, just for some quick other background. So this received what was at the time a record of seven nominations. Um, and it was the first film to win more than two awards. So I'll kind of just say what else it was nominated for. Um, it was nominated for Best Director uh, for Wesley Riggles. He lost to Norman Torrig for Skippy. Um, Richard Dix, who played Yancey, was nominated for Best Actor, but lost to Lionel Barrymore. Thank God. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll talk about Yancey and Richard Dix's performance. Um, I believe I have a note somewhere in here that's like, Richard Dix has one volume. And, and it is Elvis. yelling. <laughs> oh, his, ac his accent is Elvis. Yes, I also have a note that's like, was Richard Dix trying to do a Southern accent? And I looked it up. I was like, I looked up to see where he was from. He's from St. Paul, Minnesota. Because I was like, there's no way he was actually from the South. No, he that. really did sound like Elvis, though. I, now that you say it, I'm like, you know, that's what I was hearing. Um, so other awards as well. Um, Irene Dunn was nominated for Best Actress, which I actually am okay with that nomination. Um, she didn't win. She lost to Marie Dressler. Um, it won for Best Writing and Adaptation because this was an adaptation of uh, the book Cimarron by, um, uh, by Edith Ferber. Um, and then it also won for Best Art Direction, which I can see. Um, I thought like the sets and stuff were very nice. Agreed. Um, and then it was nominated for Best Cinematography, but lost to Floyd Crosby for Taboo which I haven't seen. Um, and I thought like the cinematography was fine and there were some very nice moments. I think, you know, episode before this was all quiet on the Western front. It was not at that level, but I, you know, I'm just going to say that not everything's going to be at that level. Exactly. 
and so the two I'm, I'm glad to hear that the the two shining spots in this film so the art direction and the cinematography uh, were dominated so even in the opening scene with the whole group of people getting ready to go stake their claim on the new territory of Oklahoma like gorgeous shots here and once they're able to actually kick off and everybody start running loved how they were able to shoot the action yes um I also liked that they showed you kind of like the difference between the richer people who were going versus the poor people who were going versus like even the people who didn't have carts and were walking. Yes, or were on a really weird-looking bicycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one was out there. But, yeah, it was it was very nice, and I thought you got, like, a really good sense of the chaos. Um, and it was a nice, very energetic way to start the film. Yes. Well, and I also enjoyed the fact that they were able to incorporate so much good sound design in this yes. particular scene. So I know... Um, I think on Amazon, the caption of this is talking about how most early Westerns were neither big nor wide, but uh, mm-hmm. Cimarron was able to do both, even yes. though it was a talkie. You, yes, that is something that is interesting is that um, you see kind of those like wide panning shots that you get. You, I mean, they're very Western. Yes. Um, it's very unusual to have a Western that doesn't use those shots. I do have to say that... I kind of discovered with this film, I already kind of like knew this about myself, but I discovered it a little bit more with this film is that while I do love black and white movies in general, I really miss color in Westerns. You don't get the contrast between the wide open blue sky. Yeah, and the You don't get the, yellow, it's just not the prairie. same. It's not the same feel. Granted, there are some like exceptions to that. So like Red River in 1948 is black and white, and I adore Red River. And then also Stagecoach in 1939, also very good. It is in black and white. But yeah, that was just something that it's it's not something I miss in other genres. But for a Western, I was like, man, I miss having like those beautiful color palettes. Yes. I still thought it worked worked overall. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean... So. I didn't break the that I'm, that's not what broke the movie for me. <laughs> Absolutely not. But then coming off of this really interesting chaotic scene, you go into the first time that Yancey meets Dixie Lee. Yes. And this this scene, I appreciated the fact that they had some stunt riding going on with these horses, which yeah, was like okay, crazy stunt riding. Yeah, down the the sharp ravine. But <laughs> oh, Yancey, folly of being a nice person. Yeah. You have Dixie Lee. End oh, up that was so. The plot of I kind of liked it though. It was funny. It was a good character introduction for both of them. I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Um, it kind of set up this like expectation that Dixie was going to be a much bigger character than she turned out to be. Yes, and I. I find that kind of unfortunate. That is something that I, you know, I think a lot of this episode is going to be us saying, I wish they'd done X, Y, and Z um, with this movie. Because, you know, as I mentioned at the start, it's something with a lot of potential that didn't always get delivered on. And I think Dixie as a character is one of those things. Yes, absolutely. So we end that scene, get back to Wichita. And so Yancey has come back finally to be with his wife and child which and her I think it's her family yes yes and so (laughs) we start with this theme with Yancey where his wanderlust gets the best of him and he abandons his family to their own devices well this time he wants to bring them out with him and this time Sabra the wife played by Irene Dunn is all for it right which Honestly, I'm with her mother in this scene. I know. Sabra, I was you like, don't actually know. What's I was going like, Sabra, you do not want to go out there. And then also, we got to talk about this bit because this is the first, first bit where we got that 
very jarring racism we were talking about where they have Isaiah who is like an African-American servant um, who's, I, I would say he's probably supposed to be like what, 12 or 13. Yeah. He's, he's young. He's like on some sort of like weird platform hanging from fan. the ceiling fanning people. I mean, well, this technically would have been technically after slavery, but like obviously still a servant being treated extremely poorly right. because they're using him as a ceiling fan. Yeah. Well, and then when he falls off of this platform and begins to beg Yancey to take him with. Yeah. The writing and then the way that he was direct, I presume was directed. Yeah. To act. Oh, yes. I'm assuming that this actor was not like, I want to act like a very negative racial stereotype. I'm assuming he was directed to do that. It was a caricature straight out of the deep red south. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. So I'm I'm very much not oh on board gosh. with this representation. No, and I think I think it's very interesting that you see throughout the movie because there is at the end there's a little bit of a message that's kind of like pro Native American and specifically pro Cherokee that's mm-hmm. like, you know, treating uh natives better and like the idea of like, you know, the white man and like the American government having stolen their land and stuff. Right. Um well, but there's a little bit of that at the end, but it's very weird that like there are times when it seems like Yancey's going very like pro Native American and like kind of being like kind of anti racist, but like the attitudes towards Isaiah never change. Right. Well, and even if he is being very pro Native American, he's still part of the group of people right, exactly. taking it's, their lands when he goes out on his wanderlust trips. Yes, he's like, which let's I think, go colonize the frontier. Yeah, I think we're, we'll talk more about that when we get even deeper into Yancey's character because I think we both have some issues with oh, him absolutely. as a character. Now, in this scene in the house in Wichita, though, I will say, very prettily shot. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job at working with the different uh, framing within this space. So mm-hmm. especially looking into the dining room through the door, appreciated seeing uh, Sabra almost storming out <laughs> because she's like, I'm going with Yancey no matter yeah. what. Um, like that, that portion of this particular scene I, I did like. Mm-hmm. So good there, but with some caveats, of course. Yeah. Well, I think Irene Dunn gives a very nice performance because you have them kind of traveling out West and she just looks terrified the whole time. Which is understandable. <laughs> right. Um, which, you know, and of course that very much changes because as we will discuss, Sabra turns out to be, Certainly the most interesting character. Yes. And um, I'd argue one of the stronger characters in the entire Yeah, film. also also probably the most dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely changes the most, too. I think she could have had a stronger character arc, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, so after they storm out, we get this wonderful scene of them with their two trailers, one with a... Uh, not trailers, I'm sorry, the um, Conestoga wagons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one with a printing press, one with them uh, going out into the wilderness to go and stake their claim in Osage. And some really cool techniques that I saw in this particular montage was how they did the night shots. So I appreciated how they darkened out the sky, but Mm -hmm. still left the Conestoga wagons and stuff together so that you could see what was going on. But it's like very clear they're traveling day and night, doing a really rough ride. I thought that was a very effective way of doing that. Yeah. But then the scene where the kid and his gang ride I up like on I like the kid. I like the kid, but where the hell did he come from? I don't know. But And again, that's another thing where like the kid does come back. But 
But we still a don't little, know why Yancey knows him and yeah, why Yancey has a Yeah, a little randomly. Again, that's another character that, like, you you almost want a little bit more development to. Yes. I mean, as a device to show how dangerous and unpredictable the new frontier is, I think he's effective. Yeah. But I am, again, not on board with how Buddy, Buddy, Yancey, and he are with no well, explanation. And it, it doesn't make sense later when they sort of have a little bit of a shootout. Right. Which, right. like, I, I want to talk to you a lot about later for, like, other reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, again, that's another another thing where it's, like, the character development seemed a little spotty. Absolutely. With the exception of Sabra, which, I mean, yes, and she's the most. With Sabra, I still some, wanted more. Yeah, so... But anyway, we get past the scene, and now we're finally going into Osage. Which I loved every crowd scene in this movie. Oh, absolutely. It was shot extremely well. Um, I think there were a couple times I wanted a little bit more like camera movement. Um, but in general, it was shot very nicely. However, they like choreographed or blocked crowd mm-hmm. scenes was extremely well done. And the sets were fantastic. Well, I mean, that entire town was built on land that RKO bought. Yeah. Um, this at the time was RKO's most expensive production, and it actually, while very critically well received, did not recoup cost in its initial run. Granted, as a box office, it did on par for what was expected of mm-hmm. like you know larger movies at the time, but it was just so expensive. Well, it, for me, it was worth it. But again, <laughs> I'm not spending that money. But two two notes from them going into Osage that I enjoyed. First was, I can totally relate to Sabra. She doesn't like traffic. I don't like traffic either. <laughs> They're going in this little wagon jam in the middle, and you have like a drunk wagon driver trying to back into them, and she's just like, okay, Yancey, I can't do this. I'm out. Well, and <laughs> I, I like that you have her being so clearly like scared and overwhelmed at the beginning because it makes sort of her anger at Yancey when he like wants to basically take off and do that all over again. Cause he's like, it's too settled here. We should go to the new place that the government stole from the native Americans, even though I presumably apparently kind of have a problem with that. Um, and we should start over and like be frontiers people again. And you understand why Sabre doesn't want to, because the first time was, hell rough it was not good no like she was scared and why would she want to do that again right well and also in the scene my note is literally are you fucking kidding me with the watermelons so yeah again again we have some very jarring racism it's bad don't like it no (laughs) let's see i think moving on for that oh there was a shot in they're in like a bar in that bar scene Mm -hmm. there's a very nice shot with like the shot glasses and the bottle sliding into view so with the all of the scenes inside the gambling tent, I thought it was very well filmed. Very well filmed. And yeah. The interaction between um, Yancey and Yontis, I enjoy. Like I kind of liked the I, way that they move moved them in that scene and how they yeah, interacted. But again, again, so this is another character because Yontis is kind of like our black hat, right? Yes. Like our. You know, in westerns, you have the white well, hat and hero and the black hat villain. A literal white hat on Yancey in the opening I mean, scenes. So <laughs> those kinds of things are where that that comes yeah, from. Absolutely. But um, that was another character that like they kind of established why Yancey has an issue with him. Basically, it's just that like it. I, from what I understood, Yantis shot the old 
newspaper man. Yes. And then Yancey now has a problem with that. Well, because he is the editor now, so he's well, the one right, the target. But Yantis has given no indication that he also wants to shoot Yancey. Like it's it's it seems like Yancey is suddenly very convinced that there's a fight that no one else has established is gonna happen. Right. And it's I think it's I think it's again, it's like some of the weirdness with character and like they're just being kind of these underdeveloped characters. And I wonder if that's a product of the fact that this is an adaptation from a novel. So maybe these characters were more fleshed out in the novel and they just didn't have like the time to flesh them out in the movie, but wanted to keep the characters in there because they'd be recognized from the novel. But I kind of like I wanted like the kid and Yantis to be rolled into one character. Like, I think that would have been more efficient, at least for the movie. Yeah, so Yantis to me really felt more like a plot device, more of a way for Yancey to show that he's supposed to be a white hat. And I mean, same thing yeah. with the kid to some extent. And the kid almost twofold, because they seem to have this like buddy buddy, y- Yancey's kind of like a father figure sort of to the kid. At least that's sort of how I interpreted it. And so. It makes that shootout also, scene Also, I like that you keep calling him Yancey instead of Yancey. Yancey, Yancey. <laughs> I'm just being British this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but So in addition to that scene in the gambling hall, um, I really liked how they then panned back to Sabre in the hotel. Yes. So I mean, not... you can already see how alone she is. Exactly. Well, and the scene in the dark was so pretty. So you barely see her outline. And then as she opens up the curtain, you can see the sliver of light on her and see her see the gambling hall. And it's like, okay, Nancy is not here with me. And for God knows why. Yeah. And yeah, thought that was super effective. Yeah. Um, And then kind of you sort of see that almost like, I don't want to say like Yancy's mistreatment of Sabra. Um, I would say it's mistreatment. Yeah. um, I mean, definitely when he like is, constantly like leaving her to like go run around the wild west yeah that's i would say that's mistreatment but it's it's basically when they're walking down the street and he's like randomly picked that fight with yontis and he tells him he's like that man wants to kill me which again i'm like yancy we have no confirmation of this but but we get to see sabra be a badass yes, in that scene yes. sabra gets feisty and i love it and she basically walks up to yontis and is like don't shoot my husband and then then yancy though is like woman you're being hysterical. Calm down. I, the man, can handle this, which he clearly like hasn't been doing, but whatever. Well, yeah, and this is where we get certain pushed in certain ways with Yancey, but Yancey is super inconsistent to me. So Yes, no, I agree. Um, because a lot of the behavior, it's not like a complication of his character. It's not like they're adding dimension to the character it just seems that the character is inconsistent um you know again with like him talking multiple times about the u.s government taking native american land specifically cherokee land and he has that whole bit in the church which i have so much more to say about that sequence but he's talking about how you know don't expect the cherokee to donate to the church because why would they donate to the church of a people that's pushing them off their land. Yet, the minute the government opens up more Cherokee land, Yancey's like, I'm out of here. I got to go be a part of that. I want to develop it and build it. Yeah, he he's just so con- conflicted in my mind. And I eh, it just gets worse. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think, you know, on the whole as a character, I would have liked them 
to maybe tow a harder line with him. So maybe have him be even more vocally pro Native American. And then maybe kind of his excuse for running off is not that he wants to go develop the land, but like maybe he just wants to be part of the frontier or like he wants to report on this frontier or he like wants to go there before it's lost. Yeah. Which to me would make more sense as like a character motivation to like keep going. Whereas it would then provide even more contrast with Sabra, who is very clearly about quote civilization kind of where like she likes when the town is established. She likes when there are like other women for her to brunch with and like, and likes when she can get her brand new fashion from exactly. the Chicago world's she fair. Wants, she wants that stability that I think Yancey doesn't. And I think, you know, by fixing some of the problems with the writing of Yancey's character, it would make that contrast even stronger and make that emotional tension between the two of them more powerful. Yes. So after that uh, confrontation with Yantis, we get another Yantis-centric scene where we're introduced to Sol uh, Levy. And it's basically Yantis being a bully to this poor guy trying to just peddle his wares. Mm -hmm. But the way that that ends with Saul on what looks like a makeshift cross of sorts was like super powerful to me. So it's like, okay, here you are beating up on Saul, who is shown to be Jewish in the film mm-hmm. and he ends up on the cross and then it's Yancey who is, who is saving him. So uh, the imagery there, I really, really liked. Yeah. But again, like they do some very nice things camera wise. Oh yeah. Um, that, you know, for what it lacks in some of the writing department, despite being nominated. Well, it was writing for an adaptation though. So, yeah. which I, I mean, it makes me very curious about the book because it makes me wonder if like some of the problems I do have with the movie are addressed with the book or at least, you know, treated differently in the book. Yeah. So again, with Yancey and his kind of conflict, I, I find it very odd that he was asked by the townsfolk to lead a non-denominational church service. I like got so confused at that point. I thought I had missed something because I was like, what like what gives Yancey the authority to like be a preacher? Like I was like, have we established that he's ordained or is it just one of those things that's like of necessity in the West? Like we don't have a preacher, like somebody better step step up and this guy seems educated. Like I was very confused as to where Yancey was getting, or Yancey, you've got me doing it now. (laughs) I was very confused as to where Yancey was like getting this authority. Yeah. But he agrees to do it. Which also, can we talk about another horribly racist scene with him and Isaiah and Isaiah wanting to go to the church service and everyone's laughing laughing at at him. him because he dressed up for it. And then Yancey is like, oh, Isaiah. And is like, I need you to go be on patrol for me. And everyone's like laughing about it the whole time. And Isaiah's like, yeah, I'll go be on patrol. But he says it in a very badly written way that really made me mad at the writers. Absolutely. Well, um, and it's all how they're coding Isaiah's character. Yeah. Like, cause they really, the thing with Isaiah's character is that like literally he's used as a punching bag. Like his only purpose is comedic and it's not a clever comedic. It's not a witty comedic. It's a comedic based on very negative racial stereotypes from the time. Right. It's essentially saying, look, black people are funny because they're black. Which yeah. And it's, it's so does not jarring and it, 
it's so unnecessary to the film or really any film and yeah again that can be that can be the problem when watching old some films. of these older movies mm-hmm. is yeah you but, think you're prepared for it but you're not always <laughs> so in the actual church service though that was i i appreciated the writing in this area because the the way that yancey introduced the church where he literally went through all of the denominations of yeah. christianity that you'll well maybe not all but a wide number he was like the catholic presbyterian episcopalian methodist baptist yeah. church of uh but then his whole sermon is like super self-serving against yontis who again at this point i'm like yeah no wonder yontis wants to shoot you like you've gone after him and i'm not entire again i'm not entirely sure why right like i feel it was an it was quite the assumption for yancey to come in and be like he shot the last newspaper editor he You're will not therefore sure want to shoot me and it's like <laughs> I like I don't think so like I think you have to like I don't know like spur that on I don't know I was just very confused I was like this beef came out of nowhere and Yancey's very very convinced of it but it was interesting that they had him shot in the church yeah which I noted I'm not sure that preachers are supposed to be packing in church well it is the wild wild west they're supposed to shoot a bit of their congregation I did also note they don't call it the wild west for nothing (laughs) But um, we also get to, we get kind of a character reintroduction and then a great character introduction in this church service, which another note I just saw is I have this church service as a cluster and I love it. Well, yeah, with all of the, they weren't explicitly called prostitutes. Yes. I, but... I have a note. I'm like, is Dixie Lee our madam? Which of course she would be with a name like Dixie Lee. Um like, yeah, I, it was great. Even the prostitutes came. Yes, I'm like, and I yes. loved it. But yeah, they won't, even though this is technically pre-code, they never straight up say prostitute or they never straight up like say that Dixie's the madam. But I did know every Western's got to have the madam. And I think Dixie Lee's our madam. I'm good with that though. Yeah. And then we are also introduced to, we were talking about Sabra maybe being the best character of the movie, but I momentarily forgot about the character that is actually the best character in this movie. Tracy. That is Tr- Mrs. Tracy Wyatt, played <laughs> by the amazing Edna Mae Oliver. So, anybody... her performance was fantastic. Oh yes, such a delight. And for anyone who maybe is very familiar with older films, the way I am, Edna Mae Oliver, you might recognize her from Little Women, where she plays Aunt March, or David Copperfield, where she of course plays Betsy Trotwood, or Pride and Prejudice, where she plays Lady Catherine de Bourgh. So. Clearly, Edna Mae Oliver has a very specific character type that she has kind of brought into play, and she nails it every time. So I'm not even mad. No, no, I love her. She's, oh, she's so good. Um, especially, I have a note about her singing with the hymn. Yes. I was laughing out loud at that point. It's so good. She's the type of comedic relief I enjoy. Yes, exa- exactly. So, like, that is comedic relief done correctly it is based on that character and that character's traits and that character is a central part of the action in the film it is not based on negative racial stereotypes or negative gender stereotypes either although i guess some of hers could potentially be laid at that but she's so good you'll allow it i'll allow it <laughs> so yeah as we said they end up shooting it was yontis who got shot at the end of that scene mm-hmm. um and so that whole storyline is like all buttoned up great and good but I, the last thing with that, where you see Yancey putting a notch in his pistol, and I'm like, yeah, damn. Which we never address 
ever again. No, like, it's like, okay, you've killed people. Why are you keeping track and why are you killing them? We know why you killed Montes. But... I feel like he, and he kills people later, but we don't see any more notches get added. So it's not like, I, I thought that was going to become like a visual motif and it just yes. didn't. Um, I also have a note about that church service is I noted that whenever they have like characters that are supposed to be like Cherokee characters, um, they have them speaking only using hand gestures, like even kind of to each other, which is weird. Like they're never actually speaking. Well, to, with the exception of Ruby a little bit. Yeah. We're disappointed with how they handled it was African Americans. I'm also disappointed with how yes. they handled Native Americans. Well, I I am too, but it was just it seemed a weird choice. Well, I wonder or I wonder if I wonder if that was a not bothering to have them speak actual Cherokee and not wanting to like fake it. It Which, could be any number considering of the other things that they did involving race in this movie, I'm shocked they didn't just try and fake it. Well, I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad too, but like small mercy. So now we're in 1893, so they're a little more established, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we're sprung on to the... Well, the kid has sprung upon the town yeah, he's back. out of nowhere. Um, yeah. After Yancey specifically told him to avoid Osage. So this is great. In a shootout with a bank, I didn't even know it was Which the bank at first. I would like to just discuss Yancey's lack of regard for his family because... Sabra just straight up fainted after fairly recently having a kid, which probably indicated to me, like, maybe complications from the birth. And then Yancey is like, I hear some shooting out in the street. I'm packing my gun and going to go look after it. Not like, I'm going to look after my wife who just fainted or, like, take care of... Yes, or, like, take care of this stuff first. But he's like, I'm going to straight up walk out into a gunfight. Also, also, yeah, also shouldn't have been shooting in a church at all. But also, if you have any regard for your family who is sitting in the front of the church, probably shouldn't have started a gunfight in there talking about that earlier scene. But like, yeah, so he like straight up goes on to this gunfight, which at the end of he's like, I wouldn't have shot him except for I was worried he might hurt you or one of the kids to Sabra. And it's like, there wasn't much of a gunfight till you went out there, Yancey. It was between the bank and the kid. That's, yeah, that's like, all I'm saying. Yeah. But I have to say, in defense of this scene, I did actually like the gunfight. Um, I And I really liked how the kid was wounded, jumps back up on the horse, shoots once at Yancey, Yancey shoots him, and he falls off. Now, I wish that the kid had just been dead there and the gunfight had just ended there because I think that would have been very powerful. Yes. Instead, Yancey had to open his big mouth. I did not need them to exchange words. It, yep. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, like that I did not need, but the, but the up gunfight... until that point, it was good. Um, we should also note at this point, Isaiah got shot, and I have a, I have a note that says, Isaiah's death, best acting in the movie so far. Um, You're not wrong. His like The death was actually like, it was meaningless because we didn't need... Like, that character didn't need to die. Like, it was pointless to have that character die at e- that point. Except to make it so that they could bring in Ruby later. So, again, we have another case of a character you, as a plot device. Yeah, I guess. But, like, you didn't... Like, the character... We don't like pointless deaths. We're all for using death when it is appropriately Yes, like, when the, when the character has been established and been... a part of the plot and the death is serving not only the plot but also character development and when it makes sense 
this didn't make sense even though like I do think the actor playing Isaiah like played it nicely yes um but then also I thought Isaiah was dead and then apparently he wasn't dead and Nancy straight up walks past wounded Isaiah calling his name and then somebody later brings in Isaiah's body even though no one to this point has been at all worried about Isaiah, even though Isaiah just straight sin. up said he was going to run outside and try and save their kid, though why Isaiah would try and save their kid when they treat him so horribly, I do not know. Yeah. It... There's a lot of problems around the way that that character is written yes. and just the movie's treatment of him. Um, but yeah, so he, he dies in what is actually a very poignant moment, but also a very frustrating moment. Mm-hmm. sad to see well am i sad to see him go because then we don't have to have more horrible caricatures thrown at us so yes but then you're forced you're also killing kind of one of the two characters of color who had line like there's just so many problems yep it'd been nicer if that character was actually just like a well-written character who could have been an integral part of the plot and actually served a very nice purpose in maybe establishing because it is established i think it is established by this point that like saber is racist Oh, very yes. vocally racist, uh, particularly against Native Americans. Um, but, uh, it, you know, if you could have had Isaiah there, too, as part of an integral part of the plot, that could have added dimension to that aspect of Sabra's character and mm-hmm. maybe allows for, like, if she had had actually a very good relationship with Isaiah, allows for to have there to be, like, a conflicting aspect to that quality of her character. And then Isaiah could have assisted in character growth. Like, again, you could have gone multiple ways. Yes, there's a lot. there was a lot of potential to this story that due to the time it was made just didn't get capitalized on yes so but then i we move into the scene where yancy is like oh they're opening up more land let's go and do this all over and sabra is like fuck oh, no would like to point out too there's that little snippet i think right before yancy and sabra have that conversation where dixie lee's like trying to help some poor mud-covered child who has obviously been abandoned by horrible parents and everyone gets mad at dixie they're like, they like stomp over there and they're like, Dixie Lee, get away from that child. And it's like, this child is obviously in trouble. And Dixie was the only well, one helping. And Dixie was going to say, what was I supposed to do? Let her lay in the mud? Yeah. Which I'm totally with Dixie on this. No, point. I. But again, Dixie has gotten zero development. So she's gotten very little screen time. And again, again, that's a character that has so much potential because I think, I think the core of this story is it's sort of against the backdrop of, um, Western settlement, but the core of the story is the relationship between Saber and Yancey. Like that is the core of this story. Right. Um, and that is really kind of what in the end it's about. And like, yes, it has the potential and every now and then we'll hit on a little bit of it to like discuss the problem of like race and like racism at the time and stuff like that. But the core of this story is the relationship between Saber and Yancey. And again, Dixie had the opportunity because she is part of the conflict between their characters but okay, never as a quick side note why is she part of the conflict like we we'll get dis- it we'll discuss that really more. developed we'll but. discuss that more but again like she could that could be so much stronger from a storytelling perspective if dixie as a character is developed so like maybe you have I think kind of with the kid bit, it was supposed to demonstrate that like Dixie's a good person and is being unjustly prosecuted or persecuted. That's the correct word. She is also <laughs> later prosecuted. Um, but it you could have had more of an establishment of Dixie being a good person and maybe 
having a little bit more development of Dixie and Yancey's character right. so that Saber's jealousy isn't completely unfounded. Right. So our current state of uh, Dixie's character is she's stolen some land from Yancey. She's taken she her potentially women to a church. prostitute. Don't know. Unconfirmed. And she's helped a kid get out of the mud. So really, she sounds like a standard frontier woman to me. Like, I (laughs) see no reason to dislike her. Yeah. I have one note here that Sabra, like moving back to the conversation between Sabra and (coughs) Yancey, it's interesting that Sabra has kind of come into a socialite status of sorts Mm -hmm. at this point. And she has her fancy puffy sleeves from the Chicago World's Fair. wallpaper. Oh, goodness. She is fancy as fuck. But then Yancey's like, oh, let's go to this new land that's gotten opened up. And Sabra finally puts her foot down and is like, how about no? Well, because again, it's like Sabra did that once. She doesn't She did do that and she's finally gotten back to the comfort level that she was used to. And she's finally really kind of, she's carved out a position for herself in this town. Yes. Um, And like she doesn't want to go. And I have a note that's like, Yancey really cares about no one but himself. Because she makes it very clear that she doesn't want to go. And I think, you know, her reasons for not wanting to go are very valid. But Yancey won't listen. And he's basically like, well, if you're not coming with me, I'm going anyway. Despite the fact that he has two small children. So he's not just leaving Sabra. He's also leaving two small children. And I think, you know, Sabra being alone and being, you know, physically alone, but also just like very alone emotionally in her marriage is a big part of this movie. And again, it's like, there are things I want more of. Like I, I wanted that to kind of like come out and I have a note that's like, there's a promising nugget of the relationship drama or the opportunity for commentary on like the way the Cherokee people are treated in that kind of conversation and argument that they start to have, but it never fully forms. Like I wanted that to be. And then Sabre has that wonderful line about how the native Americans were making no use of the land anyway. And like I go from okay, Saber, you're stylish, you're a powerful woman, you're like you, you're you're great, and then she drops these little one. Well, and I think I think that's why she's a very like definitely the most well written character yes. in the movie, and is a very interesting character, is because you want to sympathize with her because you're like, yeah, Yancey treats her shittily, but then she also says like the most racist things, and you're like, I can't like I can't like like I want to like you, but I can't because you're also like horribly racist. Yeah, and I think you know if. In that conversation, you have her saying that and maybe Yancey kind of coming to the Cherokee's defense and then having her be like, that's when it comes out that she's mad that she's alone in this marriage and that like she's angry with Yancey about all this stuff too. And then, of course, you have the chance later because there's a scene later that I'm sure we'll talk about more where basically her son says that he wants to marry uh, the daughter of an Osage native chief. And Sabre gets really upset about it. And then at the very end of the movie, there's like indications that like Sabre has come to terms with this. And like she refers to Ruby as having now become fully part of the family. But I think if they had like leaned into that more and addressed it more, it could have been so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of a good point for me to bring up the movie, The Searchers. It's a John Wayne movie from 1956 and it deals very much with this similar time period and the Western expansion and the racism between settlers and native peoples at that time and kind of how destructive that could be. 
and where the conflict between the natives and the settlers are because I mean we you know the movie they talk multiple times about Cherokee land being opened up and like people moving westward but they never address like the issues between the natives and the settlers um and I think the searchers you know it it does that exceptionally well it's an extremely good movie it's maybe the best western of all time but I think it makes me it makes you want more from this yes Cimarron makes me there's so much potential for it to do something similar and to also have a really powerful relationship story at its core Mm -hmm. and you know, the fact that it doesn't, whether that is purely the writing, whether that is largely because of the time in which it was made, I can't a hundred percent say, but it's very frustrating. I agree. So moving on in the film, Yancey goes away for five years. My yeah. Notes he's is just literally gone. Five years. You're an asshole. And he comes back and gets a hero's welcome. Okay. I wanted there to be more consequences. Like I wanted, oh, I wanted absolutely. his kids to like not recognize him. But he picks him up, and they're totally fine with it. This is a strange man walking into your house. Yeah. Little Donna has, has have no memory of yeah, him. Yeah, she would. Theor- other like, than that picture, Sim might know who he was, but like Donna probably wouldn't. And so I wanted there to be more consequences for that. I also like that you get the idea that like Sabra, while she has gotten more bitter has kind of just carried on. Oh, again, when we were like, oh, she's kind of a badass confronting Yontis, like she has completely taken over the newspaper. And even though her name isn't on the masthead, she is the editor. when they have that fight, kind of, so there's this whole sequence with Dixie Lee's trial that we'll talk about, but she and Yancey have a fight later and he basically is like, as long as my name is in the editor's line, I get to say, I kind of wanted the next shot to be the editor's line changed. Oh, yeah. As like a symbol of kind of the degradation of their relationship. But she didn't. No, she it didn't. For whatever reason. And I guess until... I guess it's like kind of sweet at the end, but whatever. Um, But yeah, so Dixie Lee's trial. Saber is out for blood, which again, I think this would have been more powerful if we would have seen more of Dixie Lee. Yes. But I do like the idea that Saber has now channeled all of her anger at Yancey for doing Yancey things onto Dixie Lee because she's now like Dixie Lee's the problem. If it's almost like she's like, if I can get rid of Dixie Lee, all my problems will be solved, which is an interesting parallel because I love this line, which again, we have an indication of the inconsistency in Yancey's character because his defending Dixie Lee is actually nicely done and kind of progressive. Because he has a line that basically is like, they blamed you instead of the man. And then Isn't that correct? that was struck from the record because they, he was leading the witness. But it's but it's true. And it's um, it's kind of what Sabra and the other women are doing. Like they're blaming Dixie for stuff in her past when she's trying to start over. But she can't start over if people are constantly going to go after her for the stuff that happened in the past. Which may or may not be entirely her fault. Right. Well, and I was extremely happy with Estelle Taylor's performance during Dixie Lee's trial. Mm -hmm. Again, another reason I wish we'd just seen more of her. Because it was fantastically acted. And some of the close-up shots as well, in addition to being very pretty, like the the reactions that you were seeing on Dixie Lee's face were Mm -hmm. right on point for the trial. One thing about the trial, though, that killed me is they walk out... And literally, ten like ten or fewer seconds later, they walk right back in to give their determination <laughs> or their their verdict. And I'm like, did it really take you only ten seconds to do this? 
Like, I don't know. Or did you even need the shot of them walking out? Exactly. Just jump cuts. The Which deliver- kills me. Liberation. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but no, so after the trial, there's that, like, weird bit where Sabre is like, so all the stuff you said about her is, like, it's true. Like, it wasn't her fault. And it's like she almost makes a 180 on Dixie Lee. And I didn't want her to. I wanted Sabre to, like, hold onto that and have it be, like, the impetus for an another argument with Yancey like I wanted her to like hold on to that and that to be still a huge problem with their relationship because again Saber was such an interesting character and I every time that they had that relationship conflict I really liked it like it was done nicely but then they'd back off on it it was like the writing would back off on it and I was like no 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 like have them go at it have you know Saber's racism be an issue in their relationship have dixie lee be a bigger issue in their relationship have yancey's wanderlust actually be being an issue. an issue like that they fight about and they yeah just don't to me it felt like because then i discussion... think that would have been and then i think having that big blowout fight where maybe it all comes out and saber's like all you do is leave me alone and like yancey's like well because like you behave this way or like because i don't like your views yeah. on this and then have whatever results from that fight be a motivation for him to leave again yeah so then it makes a more consistent picture of yancey yeah well it to me it more felt like when they had they had to have sabra kind of melt into yancey to have the romantic like oh i'm always faithful to you darling even when i go away (sighs) which i pretty words from an unreliable source is how i view that so i well, and like at that point, I feel like Saber wouldn't be buying it anymore. Well, I would hope she wouldn't. She's proven to be a very tough, business-minded woman who is not an idiot. Yeah. Yet she continues to accept Yancey's... But like it's <sighs> never... like I don't know. Like it's never convincingly shown why. Agreed. Completely. And then... Yeah. And then I guess kind of the next bit we jump to is... Or no, is this when he wants to have the article published? Yes, so now here's where he... Here's where you get a little bit of that political moral to the story that I've been wanting for the entire film. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so this is the scene where he wants to print an article defending the rights of Native Americans, I believe, to their land. Yeah, I think think that's basically it. Or just basically saying that they needed to be treated better. And, uh, well, oh yes, and this is where it's like they should vote, they should have the same rights as Mm -hmm. white men for that sort of thing. And this is where Sabra's, again, anti-Native American sentiment comes out. Well, and this is, it's just before this scene where she's found out that her son wants to marry Ruby. And we've seen what little bit of Donna we basically get to see and where, like, Donna's a complete asshole. Which, again, is something that I was like, if we could have gotten more time with this character, maybe that is more a part of the story. You know, having her having a sort of strained relationship with her father who's never around which has also led to a strained strained relationship with her mother and having that also be a problem with Sabra and Yancey's relationship is lots of stuff they could have gone with with yeah again like there's so much potential so in that same scene too we have Sim talk to Sabra about wanting to marry Ruby Mm -hmm. which I'm sure that this was a perfect way for them to lead into the disagreement between Sabra and Yancey over publishing a pro-Native American rights Which I, article. It's weird, though, because she's like, wait till your father hears about this, and Sim's like, he knows, and he's fine with it. And you have Sabra just kind of be like, oh. But then she doesn't bring that up, really, in her fight with Yancey about the article, 
which I was expecting her to. And I kind of wanted, I wanted that to be like a huge breaking point for them so that then later through if we, cause we barely get to see Ruby. So like then if Ruby could have been a bigger part of the story, mm-hmm. you see Sabra kind of letting go of her racist ideas because she loves her son yes. and her like learning to accept Ruby because it's at the very end implied kind of that that happened, but I wanted to be shown yeah. it. So the only r- real function that I saw that scene serve is to put in place a plot point that we then get to see in the next e- epoch of Osage. Yeah. Because they just needed that editorial which to be in the paper. Which like I'm fine with, but there should have been more build up to it. Of course. Like, because this really is like it's fairly late in the film and this is the first time that we really see Sabra and Yancey clash over the issue of race mm-hmm. and I think if you had had that again be a bigger part of the story earlier on it would make more sense and then it would sort of grow with their relationship to this like sort of contentious climax which you can then resolve through the use of character growth yeah didn't get it though no i mean we we again we got like the implication of it it's implied kind of that all the stuff i wanted to happen happened behind the scenes but i'm like show it to me yes much better so moving into the final act of cimarron this like my first reaction to all of the changes that happened they're like holy shit has this town yeah become not a town it's like a city at this point with some medium rise office buildings and the offices okay it cracked me up that they were like oh you're a newspaper man you're not making that much money but then you see the offices well also they had like one of the nicest houses in exactly. Osage and everyone was like Sabra would be so trendy with her balloon sleeves which I don't think is the right word for those sleeves <laughs> well I think regardless I think I've always heard those referred to as like a mutton sleeves but whatever <laughs> one is much less flattering <laughs> Um, but this is where we <laughs> finally see Sabra pulling out that Which, article. Right, right. Yes, so we see her pulling out the article, and it's kind of implied that she has had a change of heart mm-hmm. and that she now thinks that what Yancey wanted to print was the right thing to do and all this stuff. Although there is a line where she's like, yes, we printed this, and then Congress gave him everything he asked for. And I was having a note that's like, that's a little white savior-y for my taste. Oh, the scene with Saul where Yancey saves him. Yeah, yeah. I had that same thing written. Yeah. I'm like, okay, dude, come yeah. on. Um, especially just given that I'm like, I have, they haven't exactly like told us why Yancey's supposedly so great half the time like they I don't know they have him being like this like very heroic figure but then also he's like such a Debbie dad yeah but they don't explore it not at all so so but I do absolutely love that Sabra has been elected a congresswoman it's like yes. finally we see yes. recognition that Sabra has built a well, name for herself yeah exactly again like she is the most interesting and definitely the most dynamic character and I wish we could have just seen more of that evolution play out right you um, just get to see the little vignettes over time as yeah. opposed to any sort of one. Well, I mean, I think again, I think the vignettes could have gone deeper and I think they could have been more impactful, but like you, you do kind of get the character development. You just get more told it happened instead of shown it happened. Um, but I do want to talk about Mrs. Wyatt coming in and the way she just 
they have that rope kind of roping off the yes. area and the guy's opening for it and they're like who are you and she's like i'm mrs wyatt and like throws the rope off herself <laughs> and then i love how she talks to saul and she's like one of my ancestors signed the declaration of independence you oh, know and he goes <laughs> one of my ancestors a guy named moses wrote the ten commandments so <laughs> they their interactions i found very fun i did they were very charming cast i really enjoyed in this and again a lot of it is like i wish i could have seen i wish there had been less of them and i could have seen more of the ones that there were yes agreed um also i have a note about donna the gold digger oh she married her rich man they have foreshadowed that like nobody's business because in the previous little vignette she was talking about how she was going to marry the richest man in town and they immediately cut to lewis and i'm like oh donna no (laughs) No, Donna. <laughs> but it comes to fruition. Yeah. And what's really weird is she seems to almost be dressed in some, like, 1960s fab something or other. At least I mean, that's what it looked like to me. Oh, it was 20s. Edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving that in. Um, so, yeah, and then there's such a nice line, and this is actually what I wish the movie had ended on, um, where someone says to Sabra, we're proud of a woman who's done what you've done alone. I had that same note. And it was such a nice line. It was delivered so well. Saber's reaction to it was perfect. Yes. And I wish the movie had ended there. Um, well, and it caps off a beautiful, beautiful performance by Sabra in yes. her speech talking about how she's feeling so fortunate and talking about where we get the indication that she's accepted Ruby, mm-hmm. Sim's wife, into the family as one of her own. Yeah. Even though Ruby is a daughter of a chief. Yeah, a, a Ruby Native is Native American. Chief. So, I love, that was such. I loved that scene. But then they have to go and ruin it. Yes, with they a ruined boom town. it with fucking Yancey. I have a, a note where they're like, "Yes, yeah, so they're in the boomtown. Sabra's like touring the oil fields as new Congresswoman Sabra, and someone there's like apparently been some sort of accident. They're like, "Yeah, we all would have died if it wasn't for this one mysterious fellow." And I have a note that's like, "It's fucking Yancey," because I was hoping we never had to see Yancey well, and again. And they call him Old Yance. I was hoping really? we never had to see him again because I liked the idea when. Because they were in the office earlier is talking about how she likes to think he's still out there. Like, he's still alive out there somewhere. And I kind of like that. It's like, let Sabra have this romanticized notion of the Yancey she once knew running around the world. Because it's like someone's like, the last time someone she knows that someone saw him was at Chateau Theory, which is, of course, mm-hmm. a very horrible World War One battle. Um, and kind of the implication is that he died there but Sabra's like no 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 I, I think he made it out which I was like I think that's a nice romantic notion to leave Sabre with and then you get to end on the beautiful alone line and you want to the memory to live on unadulterated yes like that is a much more poetic ending yes and I, exactly and then of course but it's fucking Yancey and he quote saved the day again which ugh. by jumping on an explosive charge yeah bless his heart and but then of course like Sabre like runs him she's like Yancey and like holds him as he dies because they love each other still so much even though it's been 22 22 years was that the gap 1907 to 1929 22 years that he has been gone without a peep I would not still love him yep also I have a note at the very end that that statue was not okay they end with a statue that's supposed to be like of like commemorating the Sooners and it's like a guy, I guess, like kind of running towards something, and I'm pretty sure he's just pushing the, the Native Americans yeah, out of the way. There's like a Native American woman behind him, kind of looking down, and it does look like he kind of pushed her out of the way. Like it's well, they're not wrong. <laughs> no, but it's like 
it, but it's also not framed as a, this is a statue commemorating the time the American government took, took a bunch of land from people and pushed them out West and then took more land from them and continued to push them out West and just basically messed up their lives and like the lives of their children. You know, it's like glorifying the, the Sooners. I like to call them alternative facts. Uh, let's, not, <laughs> let's not have alternative facts. Let's just have facts and have everyone respect them. Um, but yeah, so I, it had it had the perfect place to end, and it just didn't end there. Yep. It's like some of our podcast episodes, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so <laughs> let's keep this from being one of them, and let's just say any last-minute interesting notes or thoughts? Not too much about Cimarron. I like I again the sets were really great. Yeah. Like I don't I don't want to marginalize the amount of work that was done to have rich, versatile and effective sets yes. and costuming and all that. I and will even say the casting was Visually it was nice. There were some nice performances by some of the supporting cast as well as Irene Dunn. Um and I just I think the word that I have that would sum up this movie for me is potential. <laughs> Yes, there the is, writing had so many things to pick up on that we didn't. There is a lot of potential in the characters and the story and the themes um, that just didn't quite get delivered on. Yes. Um, so I guess one last thing before we sign off is our lists. So we are keeping lists ranking the best pictures. We have now watched four. What is your list? So at the bottom, uh, to nobody's surprise, is A Broadway Melody. Yes. Then I think it's Cimarron. So it is, Cimarron for me is third of four. And of course, it's then going to be Wings and All Quiet on the Western Front. My list is identical. So, so far, we don't disagree. Just, yeah. just wait. There's not a lot to oh, disagree Oh, we will at yet. some point, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure by the end, our, our list will look very different. Um, but yeah, my list is the same. I think, like I said, there was a lot of potential in the story. I don't think it was as disastrous as Broadway Melody was at some points, oh, but it definitely not. did not deliver on kind of the story the way Wings did or the way All Quiet on the Western Front did. Absolutely not. So with that, thank you all for listening so much. Um, if you want to find us on social media, we are at Best Pictures Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you have thoughts that require more than a tweet or an Instagram comment and need to email us in, you can get us at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Ian. I'm Maggie, and we hope to see you next episode.